Christians use a lot of different methods to convert people. Uh, traditionally, there's a lot of different ways they go about it. And specifically, we want to talk about agnostics and how Christians reach agnostic people. Are these traditional methods effective? Are they useful? You know, what's the best way to go about it? And how do the agnostics feel about it? They're pretty good. So they're pretty good? I'm yeah. getting better at it. Yeah. Welcome to Talking with Intention, a Christian podcast about self betterment through meaningful conversation. I'm Michael Collins. My co-host is Walter Somerville, and in every episode, we sit down to talk about something that we find meaningful or something that we're still trying to figure out. We're not experts. We just believe that life is better when we're intentional about it. I hope you love the show. Okay. Welcome, guys. Um, um, Walter and I have a special guest to hear it's taylor whiteside a friend of mine since second grade and a friend of walter's since 2006 17 something something like that those lines something like that is when you guys met i don't know um but yeah taylor welcome this whole episode was kind of your idea we're excited to have you and and maybe you can introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background and why you wanted to do this yeah so hello to everybody i'm taylor um but yeah i had the idea of wanting to talk about like what are the different ways and what's effective in reaching someone who's agnostic or someone who's skeptical you know with what they believe in and uh reason being for that is just that's the state of mind i was in up until whenever that same year was that i met walt but yeah, that's kind of the motivation behind it. Yeah. So Taylor's got some experience on both sides, both camps here. Um, and this is something mean you have talked about a little bit before. Um, <clears throat> Taylor, I remember you, you know, if you guys haven't seen, noticed already or listened to our Mere Christianity uh, series, I know, Taylor, I introduced you to that book not long after you, your conversion and that made a big difference to you too. So if you haven't listened to the, or if, if you haven't read that book or listened to it, you should go check that out. Um, but it was kind of, it was definitely a growing process, I think for you. And you, you were surrounded like, I mean, I was been a Christian ever since I was a little kid. You know, I grew up in church and I know some of, most of our friends are at school that you and I were hanging out with were Christian. Yeah. Um, and honestly, maybe, you know, this is, makes me feel a little bit bad. I didn't really realize you yeah. or know anything about your beliefs until after we graduated high school, you know, that summer. Um, and so I feel a little bad that we never talked about that, but it wasn't really something that was on our minds. I guess I think me and our other Christian friends kind of just took it for granted because yeah. you never raise any objections to any of it right right and uh so there's a few different parts of that but um yeah but you guys we we would talk about stuff you know um i'll say like later high school before junior senior year we probably had you know zero religious conversation but um you and the twinkies you know (laughs) the twinkies (laughs) the twinkies are two of our friends that are twins and we would call them twinkies I don't know why. Well, that's what they are to, now. Don't want everybody to be super confused about that. <laughs> but yeah, like we would have conversations, you know, towards end of graduating. But um, I think the thing that's important, at least my takeaway from it and why it was still good, even though there was never really a direct, you know, like, hey, what's your faith kind of thing. The The good takeaway of it was that talking to you guys was very different from my experience in church where, you know, I grew up in two different Southern Baptist church churches and it was the norm for uh, a sermon was more of a, uh, you know, sad gloom damnation kind of vibe. And, and, you know, I was just a kid growing up. So obviously I could be misinterpreting to an extent, but that as a kid, that's what I grew up feeling like. And so, but you know, you and the Twinkies, it wasn't ever, that kind of atmosphere yeah. it was always just either in a general sense discussion or um i don't know historical kind of not necessarily 
putting faith into something, but just talking about the history in there and stuff. There was some of that as well. Um, but it was good for me to see a different perspective other than with what I had felt I seen yeah, growing it's up. It's different, different type of Christian than exactly what you saw in church, I right, guess. Exactly. We weren't preaching you at go. you constantly. We were just your friends at yeah. school. And we were open about our faith, but we weren't, we weren't, you know, trying to actively convert you and make yeah. you feel like you were, you know, scare you into it by preaching hellfire, yeah. you know? And yeah, I've been in churches like that before where it seems like every sermon is either doom and gloom as far as you're, if you don't repent and live right, you're going to hell and things are going to be bad for you or it's doom and gloom from the Christian perspective in that our lives are so hard and we have to try to get through right. these storms type of thing, which is off topic. It's just when you talked about doom and gloom sermons made me think about it. Yeah. Um, Walter's also here and we are sharing two microphones. So we got to kind of pass it back and forth. He hasn't said anything and I wanted to make sure that everybody knew he was here. Yeah, I am here in, in the flesh here. Yeah. Um, one of the things you're talking about, Taylor, is, you know, just how you grow up in the church and you you kind of get carried along with it. And I think this is true of a lot of Christians, but something, especially in my family and circle of friends, I feel like you never find out, you know, that people were struggling with their faith or maybe didn't even have a faith until at some point, I feel like when they become an adult suddenly you start having these more adult conversations and you realize, well, you know, they weren't at where you thought they were at. And yeah. it really is, I feel like we're missing something as a community of Christians where we can't be open like that to say, hey, I am struggling with my faith. I don't know if I have a faith. Like, mm -hmm. don't you think we'd get a lot more out of those conversations if we had the guts to actually have them? But uh, is it just, I feel that like we're kind of carried along you know, I feel like there's that a kind of a culture in some churches where it's like you're not allowed to have doubts. It's it, which is basically the entire agnostic belief. If you don't know, um, the agnostic belief basically is unsure. Like they they don't believe. Some of them are say that there is no chance that we can ever be sure. Like you cannot know whether or not there is a God. But most people, I think, who claim to be agnostic basically are just saying, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. And, you know, kind of indifferent about it. Um, but I definitely feel like in some churches, you can't really talk about doubting anything. Otherwise, people are going to think that you are basically turning to Satan. And that was always a scary thought too, you know, for sure, is... Um, cause I could, I, I can think of a specific line that one of our preachers would say, but, um, it was like, if you know, you know, and if you don't know, you don't have it. Cause if you don't have what I got, then, you know, you would know something about it. And it was just like this, oh, well, I don't know in that sort of confidence and authority that you're speaking with. So yeah. And it was, it was definitely something that's like, you know, it would like to be there, um, not dying to be there, but would like to be there where that preacher was at that time. But just because of how blunt and, you know, just the, with the authority he was speaking, it was always something that was off-putting. I've got a question. You bring that up. Would you agree with him now after you have put your faith in God? Absolutely would. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um but something that's important to note when you're explaining these things to people is, you know, is who is it that you're sharing this with, mm -hmm. you know? And I get that I'm not the only person in the congregation, but we had a lot of kids growing up through there. And to say something like that with someone whose minds are still so underdeveloped and, you know, we haven't, we don't have any of the life experience. Might be causing them to doubt. Yeah. Um, which... I don't think that was ever the complete source of doubt, you know, but it definitely uh, helped along a path yeah. of doubt. You know what I mean? And I'm just thinking, you know, the, that idea of maybe causing someone to doubt and question might 
it might be a good thing if we had a more open atmosphere where like that doubt could lead to real questions and real conversations rather than yeah. that doubt isolating you and you feel like, well, I can't talk to anybody about yeah. this. You know, the doubt itself maybe isn't a, the bad thing. The bad thing is, you know, not feeling like you can talk to anybody. It's just like, well, I don't feel what you're talking about. So I'm on my own. I guess I I guess I'll just leave. I'll just leave. I'm, yeah, exactly. I don't belong to this community anymore. It yeah. doesn't lead to any kind of growth or, you know, questioning that might be really, really helpful, especially... Exactly. I think especially, especially for like teenagers and people in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the most powerful or most effective ministries or way of ministering to somebody is to sit down and have an honest conversation about the doubts and the answers to those questions, you know. And, you know, the church has had us several, I mean, the church and just people from other religions as well have had come up with all sorts of crazy ways of trying to convert people. And I definitely have seen some of them be more effective than others. I, I know, you know, my least favorite, and I hesitate to say this because I know that it's been effective for people and I know that they can do good doing this. And some people strongly believe in this and it's great. You know, if God calls you to do this, do it. It can be very effective, but sidewalk preachers, just standing on the sidewalk, yelling at people and trying to yeah. pull people out of their lives and, you know, just randomly and get them to listen to you talk about God. You know, I know that it's saved, it's converted people. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to stop doing that by any means. It can be effective and it can help people, but it just seems to me like the least effective way. It feels like you could have a better way of ministering to people because from and Taylor, I mean, you can definitely comment on this because you were the one that was actually agnostic for a long period of your life. Is if I feel like if it was me that was getting pulled out of my routine on my walk to wherever I was going, and all of a sudden getting force-fed the Bible, it would just make me reject it so much harder and want nothing to do with any kind of Christianity. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, no, exactly like that. Um, and then I'm pretty sure I shared with you, Mike, this story. Maybe not you, Walt. But um, going off on a little tangent but still relates, we were at the time, I was probably seven, eight years old, and we were at um, a Christian camp, and it was a chaperoned event. And so, uh, Mama, I'm sorry if you're listening to this, but I'm going to share a little story. Anyways, uh, there was an altar call that night, and she, after everything was said and done, I didn't go up, for one, because, you know, questioning mindset i didn't feel any kind of special whatever i felt like there was some sort of prerequisite to go up there you know what i mean and whatever that prerequisite was i did not meet it so didn't go up and then after the fact uh she was kind of hostile with me not going up you know i'm gonna get into all the details with that but it was it boils down to why why did you not go up there you're going up there tomorrow night oh if he does another altar you. call yeah and then, so I did not want to raise any more tensions. So the next night came around, he did do an altar call, went up, had my preacher talk to me a little bit. But yeah, no, that was of no help to me, you know, being pulled out of where I was at and then being thrown into... Mm -hmm. Being forced into it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at with, um, you know, yeah. street evangelism is... you. And like you said, it is effective for yeah, sure. It can, 100%. it can be, yeah, effective for people. It just yeah. But it, in the same way yeah. that you help people, you could also be, you know, words give power of life and death. And you could also be somebody's going through the street. They're trying to just go about their day. You know what I mean? And then here comes this religious dude who's trying to cram some stuff down my throat. I'm just trying to get to where I need to go. And and again, we're not trying to bash that. I think right. the biggest thing is if you're going to go and do that, you have to be so careful about yeah, how much pressure you put on people. Sure. you got to have a lot of social awareness. Yeah. yeah. Also, maybe a little bit more close to home for a lot of people, the Facebook argumentative oh type, gosh. I think, is in the same yes. vein as the little soapbox preacher's. Um, same kind of thing, just kind of out there picking apart theology and having these debates with people just from an outsider, I guess. Thankfully, I've, or I think thankfully I've never participated in that, but it just looks like 
bickering that's not getting anybody anywhere. And I think that might be, you know, the same kind of idea as this soapbox preacher that might not be the most effective way, at least for for a lot of people. Yeah. And I feel like those are the two paths that I see churches go down that I, I just wish they would put more energy into. Or sorry, I say those are the two paths. I thought of the second path in my head and I didn't actually say it. Um, but I'll say it in a second because there's two paths I feel like that I see churches go down that can be effective, but I just feel like it'd be better to just pour your time into a different ministry or a different way of doing ministry. And the first one is force feeding it to people. And the second one is scaring people, especially around Halloween, which is coming up for us, which I know this is maybe you don't didn't experience any of this, Walter, growing up in Mexico. Taylor, you might know what I'm getting ready to talk about. Maybe not. You guys both give me skeptical looks. I don't know yet. You ever seen the church... Uh, haunted house, like hell experience things. No. <laughs> you guys haven't seen this? Oh my gosh. Wow, I'm amazed that neither of you have seen uh, this. I, I guess it, it's not as common as I thought. What Good. kind of a cult did you go to, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I Listen, I've seen these at churches all across the country and people talk about it online. So I know it's not just a thing that I saw at one church growing up. But basically what they do is they set up like a haunted house except for it's like a oh and it's kind of like and i've never been in one i guess i should say that i because they i always thought they were horrible um but basically it's my understanding is it's a combination between like a haunted house that you walk through and like a play so you go in to the build the room or go through the building and they go through different scenes and usually it's something like some guy getting drunk and partying and not living a Christ-like life. And then he goes and gets in a car wreck and dies and goes to hell. And like, it's like his experience at hell. And the whole idea behind it is scaring people into becoming Christian to avoid hell. And yeah, dumb (laughs) (laughs) garbage. Yeah. It just sounds horrible to me. And I know that people have been converted through that tactic and, I, I'm sure that some of them haven't changed their mind later, but in my head, it feels like, you know, that's, I mean, cause think about when somebody converts to Christianity, they are beginning a relationship with God, right? A relationship with Christ. Like it's a personal, it really is a personal relationship. And how many friendships and relationships have you ever had that began with, you're too scared to not be friends with this person. And they were like, first off, that hardly ever happens in the real world, if ever. I mean, maybe I could come up with a situation if I thought about it, but that just is not a good way to start a relationship, you know? Yeah, one of the, thinking about that same thing, you know, one of the main metaphors we have for our relationship with God is like a marriage. And so to me, that sounds a lot like a shotgun wedding. Yes, <laughs> yes. Know, where if you, I don't marry this lady, yeah. I'm going to get killed by my father-in-law. Exactly. Yes. That kind of same vibe where it's just based out of fear. Yeah, it's a Christian <laughs> Christianity version of a shotgun, shotgun wedding. wedding. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and what I'd like to segue that into is so like that's versions of what we would say not the most efficient Mm -hmm. methods, right? Obviously can be worked for good. But when I think of it, it's just like, because it is a personal relationship with Christ, what is the number one thing that he would teach on, you know, and live out as example? And it's love. Um, I don't know the reference verse, whatever Corinthians something, but the greatest of these is love, you know, whatever the reference is. But, um, Faith, hope, and love. These three abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest yeah. of these is love. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that's just, that's been the difference maker for me. Um, you know, you and the Twinkies and Lindsay, yeah. through my kind of transition season, I guess you would say, that that's what like really planted the seeds. The first time I heard your dad preach at that Bible study, you know, Nothing ever stood out to me in church other than fear and skepticism until the, at this point. And then the, the only thing that stood out was just, you know, a pure sacrificial love, not, you know, 
I don't know what else to relate this to, but you get what I'm saying, you know, just seeing it in that kind of a form that in that pure way, that's what really was like the push for me. It was like, Oh, okay, this is, this is what is right. You know what I mean? This is what will change people. And this is what's changing me, you know, and that that's the true difference maker to me is how are you presenting it? Why or what's the motivation for you going out and preach? So like we're saying street preachers, you know, as an example, what, what is the true motivation in this? Because mm-hmm. a lot of... People can tell. If you're not genuine, exactly. they can tell. Yeah. And then that's why I think we say, too, you know, it can be a good thing. That's why we always follow up with that is because yeah. if it's out of love, it's going to be a good thing. You and know? Exactly. You know, it, I've just been thinking about, and I've been meaning to get to this point, I guess, for a while. We talked about it's, it's relational, right? A relationship with Christ, it is a relationship. It's been talked about, you know, compared to in the Bible to a bride and groom and, you know, father and son, you know, I'm a friend of God, you know, type of thing. And it that's why I think the best ministry it comes from other relationships, you know, relation right. like you and me had a friendship right. for years before you ever came to know Christ. And it's through, yeah, like you were just saying, your friends and the other relationships, you know, building a relationship with somebody and showing them that you really do care about them and that you really do believe in this and have a relationship with God is the most effective ministry. You know, you think about the first person to ever be converted by another person other than just converted straight from by God himself was... I mean, if I'm remembering the order of the story right, was Peter. Peter's brother, Andrew, comes to him. Peter's fishing. Andrew has experienced, he's met Christ, and he comes to Peter. First thing he does, he comes to Peter, maybe not the first thing, but pretty much the first thing, you know, after he goes, leaves Christ, he goes to Peter and he says, Peter, I found God. I found, I found the Christ. You have to come and meet this guy, right? And Peter follows him and it you know it plays out he eventually becomes another disciple and quite you know, an important one at that yeah quite <laughs> quite an important one and you know that's that was i mean really i think that was the first conversion i'm not a bible scholar i i'm not i'm not a professor or anything but my understanding of the story is yeah, yeah andrew was the first person to convert somebody and he converted his brother to following Christ and did it through his relationship. He met Christ. He knew he had to share with people and he thought his brother was the first person he thought of. He went to him. He said, brother, I, I found Christ. You have to come and meet this guy. And he just, you know, was genuine with him because he loved his brother and he wanted him to know God, you know, and that's, If you haven't listened to the other episodes, I'm a program director at a summer camp, and that's what we teach our staff every year when I'm doing staff training. What I try to get across to them is that this is your you're the most effective tool of this ministry because you're the ones that have these the relationship with these kids. That's really why our ministry is effective is because of the cabin directors are able to build a relationship and show love to these kids over the week, you know. Yeah, and the cool factor of that, too, is just how far that seed goes with that relationship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you think Andrew to Peter, Peter just, you know, is just insane the amount of kingdom work he was able to accomplish, yeah. you know? And then in the same way with us on a much, much smaller scale, but you and me, and then I go to be a teacher mm-hmm. after the fact, you know, and Walt, I'm sure you can attest to what that style of ministry is like too you know um but those relationships that you start with someone they have tremendous impacts you know and they what is it what's that book that your dad reads oh he reads a lot no no that's the one yeah which one i I can't hear the butterfly effect yeah and just how much difference one seed of love can like truly make in the grand scheme of things you know Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i mean that's the thing with any ministry I feel like if you see results from your ministry, you're maybe seeing a tenth or a hundredth of the the work that God is actually going to do. You know, we're lucky if we get to see any results, but, you know, we have, like, the camp that I work at has been going on for over 45 years now, and we have people that show up at the camp office, you know, that are well into adulthood that talk about, 
this camp changed my life. And we, we don't know them, you know, the, the director, the founder of the camp, he's still around and he doesn't remember them sometimes, you know, but it's just people that we, the camp had an impact on that we don't, we don't even know who they, you know, it's like, we didn't remember them anything miraculous happening. Sometimes you see it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just plant a seed and it comes to fruition years down the line, you know, and you, if you're lucky, you get to see some of the work that God is using you to accomplish. But even if you don't see it, it doesn't mean it's not happening. Yeah. And I think like we're saying, so, so much of what's important for planting that seed, it is relational, you know, just like, you know, God is a relational God. And so I feel like the outcome of that is a lot of what goes into somebody turning their life around and what we call repentance is through experiences and relations and not as much through, you know, this Southern Baptist (laughs) fire and brimstone that we're kind of talking about, you know. Um, But at the same time, I don't want to throw out preaching and teaching. I don't think any of us want to do that. I just want to point that out. The absolute value of going to church and hearing the word of God preached and taught and and even Taylor you mentioned you know even after saying that the whole church experience was really not helping you what you did say was helping you was hearing hearing Steve talk about it in the Bible study and like whoa yeah for sure sitting down and preaching the word of God and teaching you know opening up the Bible and the gospel has huge power especially if it's coming out of a place of love which that might have been what hit different for you taylor yeah which that's the thing i you you know you kind of having the relationship with somebody and being their friend and showing them that you care about them gives you the opportunity to teach them and they're willing to listen to what you have to say it's not just that you know if taylor and i hung out every weekend and played video games like we usually did and but we never in our ever had any kind of serious conversation about religion. He never came to my dad's Bible study. You know, if we, if we never got to that teaching side, it wouldn't have mattered that we had a friendship, you know, but I think trying to jump to the straight to the teaching and force it on people who aren't interested and don't know you, you know, usually is not going to be effective. Yeah, that's what that's why it's so important. Like, what's the foundation of whatever their circumstance is? You know, if it's preaching or teaching, what are they preaching and teaching out of? You know, other than Bible, of course, but as a foundation of love, that's the important key aspect. Yeah. And you could p- substitute that in with whatever it is, whether it's street evangelism, camp ministry, teaching, wh- whatever, you know. As long as the key foundation of love is there, then 100% good, you know what I mean? It's got to have love. That's what that, That's the difference. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, just thinking about that, you know, especially in a church setting, I wonder if, you know, just showing up to church to hear the teaching and the preaching, I feel like a lot of people resonate with what you're saying, Taylor, about that really not being effective. And I wonder if that's twofold, right? Number one, because, you know, there's not that relationship that we're talking about that makes it more meaningful where you can feel the love, you know the person. And so I wonder if rather than letting that drive us away from church, it's because you're that's not the core of church itself, right? The core of church itself should be community and fellowship. And so I wonder if a lot of the teaching and preaching that's going on is good, but we're missing it because we're not connected in a relational way to the church. And so if we did have that, you know, in-depth community and relationship with the people in our church, you know, and church not being the building, but the community of believers around you, I wonder if that teaching would be a lot more impactful for people rather than just like, you know, showing up to a church and you get the preaching and teaching and it, you know, isn't hitting your heart at all because you don't have the relationship with the people in that in that place. And so I think it kind of has to go hand in hand, having these genuine relationships that exist outside of church, you know, as far as showing up on Sunday and then showing up together with people and, you know, opening up the word, discussing what's going on in your hearts. And, you know, the gospel itself, I think has a lot more meaning if you're, if you're looking at it and experiencing it with friends, you know, Mm -hmm. real friends and people that you share life with. And, you know, I think this is, 
the relationship is especially effective and important with agnostics, which is really, I mean, you know, all of these things are, are important, but we started this thing off talking specifically about agnostics. And I just, so I just want to make this point, you know, talking about converting people who are kind of indifferent and unsure versus somebody who is sure that God does not exist or somebody who is sure that a different deity is real and is God, you know, in those two, the difference, you know, when you're trying to, con- if you're trying to convince or convert an atheist or a, a Muslim, I feel like the, the teaching and the theology is going to be, play a more important role than the relationship, you know? And, and I feel like that's, that's more rare. Most conversions I think are coming from people that were agnostic, not people that were Muslim or atheist. I think it can happen, but you know, if you're already rooted in a certain viewpoint, it's much harder to, to change that around than somebody who's just kind of indifferent about it or unsure, you know, and it's going to rely much more on showing them the teaching and the truth behind the scripture, um, and understanding it rather than just showing them the love, you know, and the love is definitely the most important part in both cases. I'm just talking, I'd want to, I guess, talk a little bit more about what's different about converting agnostic versus atheist. Yeah, no, it's a good distinction to make because the, the number one thing that I would, I would personally say would make it easier to talk to someone who's agnostic is just in what the word means. You know, it, it's someone who's skeptical but isn't closed off to a new, you know, perspective, so to speak. Whereas atheists, Buddhist, Islam, whatever the other thing is, they have already subscribed to something. Agnostic is almost the exact opposite. In a way, it's just a lack of subscribing to something. And then that's why the love is so important, too, because teaching obviously hasn't got so much anywhere, so to speak, but when they get to experience it, you know, kind of like knowledge versus wisdom, you know, like I know all the things the Bible has spoken of, but I don't have the wisdom, so to speak, of that love. I haven't felt anything like that. But then, you know, fast forward to, you know, that year, now I have that wisdom of this is what a glimpse of that love kind of looks like, you know what I mean? And now I can run with that. Just for me, Taylor, I'm curious, I know it's a personal thing, but like what exactly, I don't know, different parts of that year that were particularly impactful, any experiences or anything that stand out when you remember it, that kind of, I mean, obviously a really big turning point, like, I don't know, what parts stand out to you that that really obviously changed your life? Yeah, so I'll try to keep this somewhat not... A lot, but um, that whole summer essentially was, it was just like every day there was a big, huge thing that just hit me in a different way. I'll say that the thing that started it off would just be me and Michael rekindling a friendship, and that's a story too long to go over, but wasn't as much in a friendship the prior two years to that, and, um, you know, just with the situation, he was in a position where he could have been in every right to not be happy with me. You know what I mean? But to totally just brush it all off and just be like, nah, man. And then give me a big, huge hug, twirl me in a circle, you know, all lollipops and daisies, that kind of stuff. Um, but the thing that, 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 especially with that is just, you know, somebody who has every right to be upset with you for a very long time and then just totally, not care and not and not just not care for the face of it or to get closer with a different group of friends or anything like that oh how admirable am i but to truly just brush it off and be like no it doesn't matter because with him it didn't matter it didn't no i was just excited to have my friend back exactly and that's the that's just the true to the foundation what it was you know um then same thing with the twinkies and Lindsay too it's you know same story three other people um but then the the next big thing of like me really in a um being open being more open to christianity kind of way was after i had left that job i moved in to 
parents' basement, you know. To, yeah, to my pa- his parents', parents basement, basement, not, not <laughs> my parents' basement. <laughs> but um, yeah, he had just been uh, constantly pestering me. Hey, you should work at the camp, and he still thinks I'm a Christian at this point. Not, yeah. but he thought I was. <laughs> um, and so just not going along with that for a little while, and then finally there was a just an odd moment at the other work I was in and I was just like, I think I want to quit. Um, anyways, and then fast forward getting on to camp training week and it was just like every day listening to his dad speak, it was with love at the foundation. You know what I mean? And then meeting people like you who are also there to be a good support system just for whatever. I mean, you know, is like every second of the day you always had someone you could go to about whatever, no matter how big, small. But, um, Yeah, especially just like I'd never heard um, the word preached in the manner how your dad did, just with the the conviction of love behind it, you know what I mean? And that's what he focused on every day, and I knew he 100% believed it, he breathed it, he was loved to everyone in those studies, you know? And that got me excited, and I would say at that point, those were all the key factors where it was like, okay, this is now the solid road path whatever i'm going to go towards now i got a like huge adrenaline rush just hearing you talk about what started it all where michael was you know just rekindling the relationship with michael who you know without going into it you know had plenty of reason like you said to not want to be your friend again and just dropped it and was happy to have his friend back i was like whoa that's the gospel right there that's all of it is just we messed up we had, you know, God had every right to just be done with us, but he dropped it just because he genuinely wanted to have a relationship, was just happy to have, you know, his friend back being us. Yeah. And he didn't just drop it. He had to make an insane sacrifice <laughs> yeah. to be able to yeah. have that relationship. Yeah. yeah, that's that's it. That's the gospel. That's the good news, you know. And you know, thinking about the different ways, again, that Christians try to convert people, especially on Facebook. And this can apply not to just Christians and religious people converting other people, but politics as well. You know, it's like people have this, uh, they go about it as if they're on one side of the fence, the person they're trying to convince is on the other side of a fence, and they're, and they're just shouting their arguments over at the person. But what we're trying to do, what's effective, seems to be, is not to stand on your side and shout at the person, but to go over to them, meet them where they're at, and lead them back to the truth, right? And when I say go over to them, I don't mean stop believing in God yourself and become an agnostic. I just mean don't judge them and have a genuine relationship with them. You know, Paul writes in... Romans hesitantly uh, convincing convinced that it's in Romans that he is he can be all things to all people at different points in time right when he's with the Gentiles he acts like a Gentile he's with the Jews he acts like a Jew right and it doesn't mean that he participates in sinful activities but like if the Jewish people you know, they don't believe in eating pork, then he's not going to eat pork right in front of them. You know, he's going to live the way that they live to the extent that it's, it's still righteous, even if he doesn't have to, you know, because Christ came and fulfilled the law. And when he's with different groups of people, he's going to try his best to be like them and relate to them so that he can show them that he cares about them and lead them to the truth. Right. Yeah, thinking about that and going back to what we were talking about, you know, the importance of the relationship, not just the teaching of the word. But I think it goes both ways. I think if you're if you're just teaching and preaching, we've talked about that soapbox preacher, you're not getting anywhere. But I think there's also the danger of as Christians just kind of rest sitting back in the easy chair and be like, well, you know, I've got these relationships but if you're not, you know, living out the gospel or, you know, yeah, so, yeah. sometimes it genuinely means you do, you know, preach the gospel to your friends that you have a relationship. And but you, you got to have both the relationship and the teaching. Mm-hmm. And you have to live 
a Christ-like life. You have to set an example for people. You know, I talk about at being, you know, all things, all people and living, the, meeting them where they're at. But that doesn't mean going out and get, getting drunk and breaking the law and doing whatever else, you know. It, like, here's, I have, an, I have an example from my own life of this. Um, I lived out in Colorado for like four months. I went and worked at a YMCA, a big like YMCA resort out there. And me and my roommate, I was lucky, this was totally God, you know, my roommate was the only other person that I met there that was a Christian. And luckily enough, we were just happened to be roommates because everybody else there was, you know, keeping alcohol in their room and having people of the opposite sex come over and all sorts of stuff. Um, But the people that I worked with, I was a lifeguard and the other people on the lifeguarding team out there, you know, I got to know those guys pretty well. None of them were Christian, but they were my friends. And I genuinely enjoyed hanging out with them. And I assumed that they enjoyed hanging out with me because they invited me to things, you know, and they would invite me. We went and had a campfire one night. I remember they invited me out and I was hanging out with them and a couple of them were drinking. And I don't know, I don't know. Some of them were underage. I know that, but it was definitely against the rules for us to have alcohol at the YMCA in general. And I didn't drink obviously, but they didn't feel like I was judging them and I was able to be around and hang out. And I didn't get to, I didn't preach the gospel to all of them, but I definitely had some meaningful conversations and meaningful moments. And they saw me, you know, they, they were very clearly knew that I was a Christian. They would talk to me about it sometimes and there was I remember one very meaningful conversation I had with one of the other lifeguards there I don't know even remember how we got on the topic but basically I just remember she felt like like Christians like you see on the news were usually very bigoted and angry and preaching hellfire and damnation trying to condemn people and so she was like surprised that I wasn't like that. And I had an opportunity to share with her. Yeah, that's not, that's not what the Bible preaches. The Bible preaches love, you know? And if I had jumped out of the gate with guys, this is what the Bible says about the way you're living your life. I don't think I would have been invited to that campfire, you know? <laughs> yeah. It makes me think about what we were talking about. Just the importance of experience, like this whole thing, a relationship with God, trying to make that appealing based off of understanding it we're never going to understand it right that's one of the these crazy things about a lot of our relationship with god is you can't understand it you can't understand his love you know you can't understand what happened on the cross but you can experience it and so i think that's the that's the power of living out the gospel if the gospel is can be experienced in your life, you know, that's so much more powerful than, you know, a couple words or trying to explain it verbally. If you're genuinely living out love and, you know, that's something that people can feel a lot better than they can understand, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Having those, those experiences and spiritual experiences and i mean because that's the thing you know we talk about different ways that we do ministry and that christians do ministry and the church does ministry and as if we're the ones responsible for converting people you know and it's not the case we we are doing our best to do the will of god we want to we i almost said we want to be of service to him but he doesn't need us you know he uses us for his glory and i am incredibly thankful for that because he doesn't have to use us either you know he allows us to be a part of his kingdom because he knows that 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 gives us fulfillment it makes us happy you know our ministry is just everything that is i heard there's this quote that i use when i train the junior cabin directors for for summer camp here and i don't remember who says it but the quote is everything that we call the work of the ministry is just setting up an encounter with God or something like that. And it's basically just, yeah, we're just trying to let God do his work. We're trying to set up a perfect place for God to come in and make an impact on these kids' lives here and in people in general, you know. If you can experience 
the love that goes so much further than trying to understand it. That's yeah. that's an incredible distinction to make because that 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 really like for me that was the defining moments was when I f- when I could feel the gospel, not when I could understand it, but when I could feel it. Those were the defining moments, yeah. and so just good distinction to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that same idea ties in a lot with our last uh, C.S. Lewis. What's the book? Mere Christianity chapter that we did, where we talk about how, you know, what Jesus did on the cross. There's a bunch of different ways people try to understand it. And the analogy that Lewis gives is like, it's like the theory of nutrition, right? There's lots of different ways you can try to understand the vitamins and the protein and the different food groups to what it takes to, you know, get your body what it needs. But way before people were understanding that, it was working. Uh, people were eating meals and getting the nutrition that they need. And so what Jesus did on the cross worked. And that's what that's what people agree on. We don't have to understand it to experience that, yeah, forgiveness of sins and being able to have, you know, a relationship with God, be in the presence of an almighty and perfect God. It happens, you know, that's yeah. the crazy thing. And so being able to experience it, even though you can't understand it you know, is I think why it's really important to have these relationships where it's not just based and focused on preaching, you know, right from the Bible and trying to understand every single thing that's happening, but instead we can just kind of live it and experience it in our relationship to other humans. I think that's one of the greatest ways that we can understand God is through interacting with other people who have the image of God in them. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, in that episode that Walter's talking about is chapter nine of Mere Christianity. I don't know if that's going to go before or after this episode, but either way, you know, go check that one out if you haven't listened to it already. But yeah, the experiences, that's, that's really what makes a difference. And that's why Christians, you know, that's why we're so passionate about what we believe. And that's also, you know, I've said, before I think talked to my mom once and just thought about this like I I've never understood people who you know were Christian and turned and converted to something else that has never made any sense to me and I'm like I don't understand it so I I don't want to say anything definite I guess but it seems like for that to happen in my head it seems like they couldn't have been a Christian in the first place. And I, I hate to say that because maybe I'm, I, there's a good chance I could be totally wrong. But I'm saying that from the perspective of it's hard for me to believe that anybody who has experienced what I have experienced could ever turn away from that or want something else, you know? Not saying you won't have doubts sometimes, you know, things you get distracted by life and other things and whatever. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens that can be distracting and painful, but to totally turn, like there's, I don't see how there'd be any chance of me ever turning away after experiencing this relationship, you know? Yeah, I'd try to add on to it, but I'm of the same exact mindset. I mean, just like once you catch a glimpse of it, you know, you can feel the glimpse of it, I guess, so to speak. Then it's just like, yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. And I don't, you know, if you're not a Christian, you probably have, this makes zero sense to you, but I'll promise you, you know, and once you experience it, you know what we're talking about. It's, it's amazing. Having a relationship with God is, is the only thing that matters. And I would say too, if you don't have a relationship with God, this isn't the we're trying not. We're trying to avoid that doom and gloom. Yeah. If you have no idea what we're talking about, the whole thing we were mentioning earlier is what a good thing it would be if we could talk about our insecurities about stuff. Even mature Christians, if we would talk about our doubts and you know, maybe we're not as sure about our relationship with God or different things, but. I think having those conversations with people you can trust, I think, is the big point. That's what Taylor was talking about, just having Michael, you and the twins or the Twinkies, sorry, uh, (laughs) that he could trust and that he could feel we're authentic, you know. Um, I think having that kind of a conversation like, hey, you know what? I have 
no clue if I'm a Christian or, to be honest, this whole Christianity thing so far, I haven't been feeling it, you know? But I think if you can talk about it rather than just hiding away, you'll get some closure on something or, you know, yeah. have some growth somewhere. Yeah. And I've, you know, I, I was gotten a conversation on Instagram, I think, uh, a couple weeks ago or something about, you know, some guy who's an atheist and posted some question and I was talking about it with him in a comment section. And the last thing he said, I don't remember all of it, but I remember he mentioned that he had turned away from Christianity after he got a question that he couldn't answer. And I was dying for him to tell me what that question was, you know? So if you aren't a Christian or if you have turned away from Christianity or whatever, and it's because of certain thought or question or idea that you don't have an answer for, please send me a message and let me know what it is, you know? Cause we, I would love to talk about it with, with you, Walt and Taylor, if you're are still around or interested and, you know, I just want to know, like, I, that's, that's, I love that. I love yeah. to look into it and find the answers. Yeah, at least we'll kind of struggle towards an answer together. Maybe not yeah. have a great answer, but yeah, hopefully. But together, but together yeah. But we'll be together. Yeah, that's the whole relationship again. So thanks for listening, guys. Again, if you've got a question or comments or concerns or anything like that, just send me a message. You know, actually, I think, because I've noticed this, I'll try this out. Um, Spotify bought Anchor. Anchor's our hosting platform, and I have the ability to add a question at the end or in the show notes that you guys can just answer right there in Spotify. So I'm just going to have, I guess I'll say comments or something like that. If you have anything that you want to say or note or let us know about in your listening in Spotify, you should be able to do it right there in the app. Just go in, type, send a message. And yeah, you can also find us on Instagram and wherever else. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we have somebody listening to our show in Zambia. And I'm amazed because it's it's 3% of our listeners. So it's either a group of people or one person who's listened to a bunch of shows. But I, I it's weird. I know it might be weird to bring it up, but I just, in my head, it's one person who's a big fan. And I want them to know that I see them. And I, so if you're the person listening in Zambia, please send me a message because I would love to meet you and want to know how you found our show. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys.